Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. If I can help just one person find a solution or at least realize they're not broken or alone, then writing this has been worth it. You can pick up the book exclusively at Amazon or signed copy at secretlifenovel.com. And the best way to support our podcast is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or rating on Apple Podcasts yet, please do. It'll help more people find our show. And if you want to be a guest, shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at icloud.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave? Or those lighter, funner secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Celeste. Now, Celeste, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? Well, I was a stripper. Ooh. (laughs) You are my first stripper on the show. I'm very excited to have you on. (laughs) Yes. I was, I guess I was about 20 and I kind of happened into the job. I had moved here from the Midwest Mm -hmm. um, and I was a teacher beforehand and some of my uh, college credits didn't transfer over to California. So I had to go to school to get my credits. So, and my, so I could teach as a credential teacher Right. and I wanted to go to school full time. So I needed a job where I could just blast through it. And I answered um, an ad for a cocktail waitress and it wasn't until I got there because I didn't know the city at all that I realized it was a strip club. So I was like, okay, this could be an experience. And I had gone to school for teaching, but originally I had wanted to be a writer. So I was like, all right, this could be fodder for a book someday. We'll see. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was, ki- it was kind of a fascinating thing. And I was, I was 20 or, you know, I was young. So it's yeah. like, everything's kind of exciting. So anyway, I started as a cocktail waitress. Mm-hmm. And then after a few weeks, I decided and kind of got the nerve up to go get my topless dancer's license. Which... Okay, hold on, though. I got to <laughs> stop. You are just plowing through. My first question, though, is when you saw the sign for this job, what was your initial thought? Like you pulled up in the car and was like, oh. Well, I didn't know. Like from the sign, it wasn't readily apparent. So oh. it was when I walked in the door. Well, and yeah. From, and, I, and I was going in there at like three o'clock in the afternoon to interview. Yeah. And it was a full on interview. And I went, walked in and there's a bouncer there and it gets very dark. Yeah. <laughs> with, with lights and there's a girl on stage and there's scantily clad girls, you know, kind of walking, milling about. And there were just a few guys there. And I was like, uh-huh. And I did, you know, I'm probably, I sure got really nervous, but- yeah. I was, I was there and I did the interview and they hired me on the spot and I was just like, okay, I'll do it for a little while, see what happens. Mm -hmm. And so I did, you know? So what made you take the step to get on stage? What was that initial thought? When you're, when you're cocktail waitressing, you're seeing the, 
there's a huge discrepancy in what you're taking home at the end of the night. Even though the waitress is there, I'm sure made more than, you know, just a regular, you know, bar or whatever, but there's the dancers make a ton more money. Oh yeah. They like bank bankroll it and you're like yeah. you're like slinging drinks and you're like, wait a second, I could yeah. be getting through, you know, making more money and getting through my studies much faster. Exactly. And I also, I went from being a waitress and then there was a step where I went to be just a table dancer. So they had tables where the men set, the men, the guys sit around and then you stepped up on this little platform, I guess. It was like a U-shaped table usually. And so you would step up on this platform and you could, the guys would be sitting around and you were probably, if you squatted down Mm-hmm. You were eye level with them. Okay. So to be a table dancer, they could, you could get, I believe it was $10 for a table dance. And, but then you would get tips after. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times the girls that were just table dancing, like they wanted the girls that they had seen on stage. So the stage girls, they were topless. So you had to go get this topless dancer's license where you went down to a police station, took this like almost test, like what? a driver's test. Yes. And then they took all of your info, your driver's license and your, you know, all of your info. And you went through like a little class of safety. It was really interesting. And I was always wondering, I've always wondered if that will show up in my <laughs> Wait a second. No. Who taught this little class and who, was it just a normal police officer giving you this license? Yeah. Wow. So you would go down and fill out the paperwork Mm-hmm. take this little test, take this little safety class. And it was a female officer who who had you take this. And it was not long, you know, it was a short little class about the rules and regulations. And that's also kind of what you were tested on. Because mm-hmm. at the time, San Diego was pretty strict about their topless dancing license. So like, for instance, when you were doing a table dance, and when you were not on stage, you had to have your top on. Right. And when you were on stage, you know, the guys are right around stage. You had to be, I think it was three feet away from the edge. So like no guys could grab you or anything like that. Well, I love that. It was so, it's so safe. I mean, I don't know. We don't know now, but I love that they were protecting the dancers. It felt really safe. And um, Vegas was very different. Some of the girls would go out to Vegas. I think LA had different. It must have been a county thing or something. But in the the bouncers at the end of the night, they would walk you to your car. It was, they they played it pretty safe. I mean, I didn't ever feel unsafe there at all. And there wasn't even like back private rooms at this club. Like there's no lap dances at this club. No, no, there were none like that. And there was another club that was completely new that's still around that I'm sure that there's different rules for that, but this was a topless club. So So here's my question. How did you feel when you actually stepped on stage and then took your top off? Really nervous. (laughs) (laughs) I had I had kind of gotten to know the girls when I was table dancing and I did Mm -hmm. that. Like I said, I probably waitress for two weeks and I probably table danced for two weeks. And I was like, okay, this is enough. If I'm gonna be working here, I'm gonna be working here. You know, let's just let's just go for (laughs) it. Let's just do it. You just (laughs) let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. So and it was gonna be, you know, I was you know, paying rent and car payments and insurance and going to school during the day full time. And so I had books and, you know, tuition and that kind of, I was thinking I need to make 
money to Dude, feed myself. I, listen, I took a job. I've been topless on on a movie, like my first major movie. I took my top off, and and so I get it. Like you, yeah. you know. Yeah, and it was probably in your contract, but you may have not gotten that job if you didn't want to, right? Oh, you wouldn't not you don't get the job. They literally say before you even audition, you have to be okay with this. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was very, very nervous. The girls, when you go from like a waitress, there's a little bit of a separation between the waitress and the dancers. But when I started doing that table dancing, you get to know the girls a bit more. And they're really most of the girls were really nice, really kind, really, you know, it was interesting. And they would kind of teach you the moves, um, tell you what they, you know, what clothes work for them or what outfits or whatever. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of camaraderie within the girls, the bouncers, some of the men, the lower management. Um, There was a house mom usually there who kind of came on in the afternoons and evenings she made sure everybody was dressed appropriately and, um, you know, weren't taking too many breaks, but also like check emotionally how all the girls were. And wow, she, it sounds lovely. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of in the beginning, it was kind of like a new little family. I mean, like three or four of the waitresses and the bouncers lived together. We'd go to parties at their house. So it kind of was in the beginning, you know, it was it was fun. And there was this whole camaraderie going on. And there were girls there that were dancing. There was a girl that was going to UCSD getting her law degree. And there were girls there that were single moms. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. Exactly. But but you you haven't gotten to the moment you took your top off. How was that? What was that feeling for you? It was, I was really nervous. I had done um, you know, a little bit of acting in, in high school and college. And I would compare it to that or speech giving that kind of thing. Okay. Like a real nervous. And I, you were allowed to, I think have two drinks a night. And I did like a shot right before I went on. <laughs> and, um, you know, I had the girls help me pick out, you did two songs. So you would do your first song and you would walk all the way around the stage and get, and dance and get up close to each, you know, patron. Mm -hmm. And then the second dance, you would take your top off, but it was usually about halfway through. Oh, so you had to dance the rest with the top off. Yes. Okay. And that three feet back. So it was a little bit of a smaller box, but it was still pretty big, Mm -hmm. but the girls were super supportive. I was really, really nervous. I'm sure I looked awful and stiff and <laughs> horrible the first time I was out there. I'm sure you, you know, like, like <laughs> teetering, like almost falling, yeah. trying to like do the body wave, trying to like yes. be sexy. <laughs> oh yeah. And so nervous, nervous smile that, you know, just <laughs> didn't know what to do with my heels. And it was, I'm sure it was awful. And I'm sure the first couple of weeks were awful, but you kind of get in the groove of things and you watch other dancers, you kind of honed in on my style of music that I wanted to do Mm -hmm. and not just what was going to be, you know, pleasing to the crowd, but what I would enjoy, because I did figure out when you're enjoying it, they enjoy it, usually depending on the crowd. But a lot of times that was the case. What was your favorite song that you loved performing to? My favorite, I had a favorite set that I loved too. I had two of them. And my first, one of the managers that I hung out with and partied with, he was like, you got to try this. You got to try it. So I did it one night and it was kind of a hit. So I went out in like a, like a black sequined black moto jacket and Mm -hmm. little teeny black shorts, fishnets, heels, and a black hat. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And when I first went out, I did sweet transvestite from Rocky Horror. Uh-huh. And it could have bombed, you know, and a lot of the people, you know, thankfully, especially the first night, knew it and were just like cheering and freaking out. And it was really, really fun to do. And I knew all the words and I kind of made up my own dance to it. And then my second song, I did Leave Your Hat On, which was popular because Nine and a Half Weeks had come out a couple years before. Mm. So that movie, Nine and a Half Weeks. So Leave Your Hat On by Joe Cocker. And then, you know, I'd take the jacket off and then take my bra off and finish it that way. But obviously leave my hat on. And that was it. That was a fun set. Oh, that just made me like heart pitter patter. Like, oh, (laughs) good times. (laughs) It kind of was, you know, it was, it was, it was fun. There was. At that point, we could pick our own songs, and it was fun to be theatrical. Yeah, we had, you could do whatever you wanted at that point, and it was it was it was pretty fun. And I kind of found my own, um, you know, my own groove, my own voice, and I honed in on it. And I think all the girls that were pretty successful at that time did that. Right. Well, here's my question for you: How long were you doing it for? I did it for about a year. Uh-huh. So. And I had about a year of school to do. Mm-hmm. So I was doing it for about a year. It was, it started to kind of, you know, I was telling myself that I felt sexy and powerful and I was right. providing myself. And, but the reality is, is that it, it, it kind of wears on you. You know, there's the excitement of starting something new and, you know, sequin thongs and stage makeup and attention and money. And we even sometimes went on a yacht, like the owner of the clubs had a yacht. And so we would go around the harbor on this yacht and just like wave at people. (laughs) So we were doing that sometimes on the weekends and then we work at night. And I mean, it was, it was fun. But then, you know, after I think six months or more, the management changed a little bit, but also like the seediness of it, you know, it became a job, you know, the beginning of any job. It's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. It's new. The shining, the shininess wears off. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It patinaed a bit. (laughs) Well, and the thing is, I mean, I, I'm with you right there because it got to a point for me in Hollywood where I'm like, I don't want to do the play those parts anymore. Like I'm not interested. I've moved past that, that stage. Did you feel that way? Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't, Yeah, it really, I think that my identity, everything started to be wrapped up in how much money I was making a night. And that showed me, it was showing me how valuable I was, which was absolutely not true. But I had, I wasn't being judged on being smart or funny or a good friend or daughter or sister, you know, a student, any of that. Right. I was being judged on what I was making my money and it started to wrap up in who I was, how much money I made a night. Yeah. So... That was, you know, went from me thinking, okay, this is a badass move for me. I can do it. All right. To, you know, this is, it just wasn't good for my self-esteem. And when I wasn't making money, I wasn't having fun. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. So if you had a bad night, right, it's called a bad night when you don't make that much money, would it weigh on your self-esteem and self-worth? Yeah. And sometimes when, you know, and I had good nights and bad nights, but when I had a bad night, my self-esteem just tanked. There were some girls that were able to separate what they were doing and who they were. And at that time, I wasn't able to do that. You know, I was wrapped up in that. You know, I was one person at school, but at night I was a dancer and that's how I, um, you know, lived, how I was able to live my life the way that I was. And 
I just, when I wasn't making money, I wasn't having fun. And it turns out I can't fake that when I'm not having fun. Um, and, the, and the guys with the cash, they, they wouldn't put those dollars in my garter because the fantasy of the happy, sexy girl, well, I wasn't happy. So yeah. my self-esteem totally tanked. Oh my God. Everything you're saying right now is ringing true for me as an actress because oh, it's yeah, like, I would, I would think so. Yeah. You go and you try to get an audition or you get an audition and you try the part and you're auditioning and then you don't get it. And your self-worth is so wrapped. And some actresses are really great about separating themselves. They're not yep. the product. They're just playing this part. But I, for a while, had trouble also separating. Like, that's my job and this is me. And that's two different people. Exactly. And when those nights were getting, you know, more bad nights than good nights, mm-hmm. I was thinking like, okay, I'm not pretty. I need, the big thing was I need to get implants. Cause at that time, yeah. a lot of the girls had implants and there were certain customers that would pay for their implants, which I thought was crazy. I'm like, but girls were going to Mexico and some of them were bad jobs. <laughs> but when I started to think about that, I knew it was time. I was like, all right, you got to get out. Like this is, it's not a good decision for you. It's not who you are. My self esteem was low, but it was also kind of when I was wrapping up school and I was able to, I was able to start teaching again. So here's my question. Who knew you were a stripper or, you know, in your past or during the time? Did a lot of people know in your life? Um, it wasn't something that I like advertised, but if somebody asked what I did, I told them I'm a dancer. Um, my sister knew, my friends from back East knew just from, you know, them coming out here or me going there. It wasn't, I didn't feel like it was a big secret in the beginning. There was a little bit of pride there, but I didn't have shame. Like I, you know, when I moved later, I had shame, but I didn't have big shame, but I definitely wouldn't advertise it. So do you have shame now? Well, I think that there's this whole thing where, I was always trying to be okay with it, especially after, right after, you know, I'm like, all right. And then in, later in my twenties, um, I pretended, okay, I thought I was in control and I was the one taking advantage of, you know, the guy shoving cash in my garter, but that wasn't really the case because I kept thinking I was being objectified, you know, and yeah. not only was I allowing it, but I was a willful participant. And it went from that beginning feeling of power in the beginning to, really going, okay, this is like really detrimental to my mental health. So, and at that time, if it was a healthy thing for me, then I wouldn't have had such fear, you know, afterwards of people finding out too, you know, after I stopped and I was teaching, I would have been mortified if any of the other teachers or kids or parents or anybody found out. So, you know, there's a, a lot of reasons why somebody might do that. My reasons, you know, the same as anybody else's, but it was, it's been a lot to process for me. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, societal expectations and norms. And though through that, I, I considered myself more respectable after. So Mm. you go through that where it's like, all right, that was kind of a shameful thing to do. And I have gone through like kind of shame spirals, you know, where I'm really ashamed of it, but it is what it is. And I have, you know, a few years after that, I was married, then I was having kids and I was teaching. Um, and I was, yeah, you go back to being really ashamed. But I also think that we all 
eventually accept that everybody's done stuff, you know, you know, for me, I think that happened in my mid thirties or something, you know, I didn't feel like I had to hide everything, but I also don't think that, you know, like hardly anybody knows what I did now. I mean, there's like maybe four girlfriends that are my girlfriends now that weren't my girlfriends back then that know, Mm -hmm. because I don't think that being a stripper is palatable. I don't think I'm going to run around and tell anybody that that's what was going on. But I do think it's a part of, you know, it's a part of who I am. It's part of the fact, you know, the the fabric of who I am. And it's, it's intrinsically part of me. So even though I don't want everyone to know what's going, what happened, you know, what I did back then, Mm -hmm. I have slowly kind of learned to accept that and not feel shame. Because uh, you're talking to me right now and I, and you said you, when you first did, you're like, oh, I want to be a writer. This is interesting. That's something to write about. Yes. I'm thinking that would be a, such a great story from going to be a stripper to a teacher. Like, yeah, I think that would make people understand that sometimes that journey is necessary, how you grew up, what kind of money you came from. Sometimes you have to do those things to get to the other side. Uh, yes, you hit the nail on the head. It's what um, it, it, it was just a part of who I am. And it moved me from point A to point B. Yeah, You know, it, it got me through that. I can't remember if it was nine months or a year that I needed to do that schooling. And it's just that that tarnished, you know, the whole work environment and my self-esteem being so tied up in it. The business was glitzy and sequins and um, disco balls and lights, and it just faded and tarnished over right. that year. So it didn't take me too long to be like, all right, I'm done and get out of there. So I always love talking about the seven deadly sins with these kind of secrets, this, uh-huh. this moment in time where you did something that now you're feeling shameful about. Let me name them for you. I like to talk about them more in a character defect sense than a religious sense. So we've got pride, greed, lust, gluttony, envy, anger, and sloth. Do any of them tie to this shameful secret you sometimes, you know, battle in your head? Well, I, a lot of them apply. I think pride because it boosted my ego, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and my need to be desired by men. But I was always also really focused on making it on my own out here in California. I felt like a lot of people from back home thought I'd be back within a year I didn't want to fail and I didn't want to move back. So I figured, okay, I can work two or three shifts and go to school full time, can pay my bills and study. So that was, there was a lot of pride in my ego and just making it out here. Mm -hmm. Um, Gluttony strip club is, you know, by nature, it's a gluttonous, overtly sexual, you know, it's a gluttonous environment. So it's not a normal experience on any level. And that it's, it's that fantasy, you know, and, I don't want to like yuck anyone's yum, but a strip club isn't reality, you know? No, neither is porn. And I always say that. It's not, that's a fantasy. That's like television and film. It's a fantasy. It totally skews the view of normal sexuality. And, you know, I believe that pornography is an epidemic at this point in our society. And it's it's ruining marriages and yes. I think it's ruining all intimacy. I watched a whole thing about how young boys are watching watching it at eight years old and that oh my it's goodness. desensitizing their sexuality. And it's, yep. it's really damaging to our society. And I believe that, especially in my program. 
it's horrifying what it's doing. So, uh, okay, lust, you know, obviously I was feeding my knee for mental lust after me and mm-hmm. giving Which them Which is lust. intoxicating. Yes, yeah, it is. It is. It's really intoxicating. Um, as far as greed goes, of course, the more money that I earned, the more I wanted, even to the point, like I said, of wanting implants. Um, yeah. Envy. You definitely compare yourself to the other girls. Um, I mean, how I could know- you not? How yes. could you not? I would be doing the same thing. Like, oh, she has the best abs. Oh, her yes. br- breasts are perky. I don't yes. know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there were some girls that came would come in for like a weekend once a month from mm-hmm. Vegas or LA or whatever. And they would just clean up the club. Like we wouldn't make any money when we knew Brandy was coming in or whatever. So it was hard. And, you know, that that idea that comparison is the thief of joy, that I started comparing myself more and more to the girls. And so my joy on stage just de-escalated fast. Right. Well, lucky you, though. I have to say lucky you that you didn't get wrapped up in that. Like you knew you were healthy enough to get out and say, actually, this is really bad for my esteem and my self-worth. And you lots of people wouldn't have the strength to do that. Yeah, you're right. I was very fortunate to like have that train of thought and be able to give myself that peace of mind. It coincided beautifully with when I got the credits I needed to do, you know, the job that I loved. Yeah. So it was, it was a fortuitous time for me to, okay, I can leave and I can start work right away. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that, you know, as far as anger and wrath goes, there was a certain amount of vengeance in getting money from men for objectifying women, which is weird to say, but I don't know if they're going to use me, then I can, you know, strip them of their cash. There was that weird dichotomy where it was, I don't know if that's an anger wrath thing, but it, it seemed like a revenge, a revenge thing, you know? Oh, I've been there. I'm like, if you're going to do me wrong, I'll do you 10 times worse wrong. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But my other question I wanted to ask you, who do you think keeping this secret now later in your life has benefited and who has it harmed? Well, it's both me. You know, I, I think that I benefited by saving face. You know, I don't have this uh, embarrassing past to be judged by. And it's just not something people can like pass off as a youthful whim. I think it's kind of a dirty secret. And it's like I said before, it's just not digestible for the general population. It's not something that most people would say like, oh yeah, that was a job. You know, it's not like I worked at McDonald's or whatever. It's not something that is normal. And that's so sad. I, I agree with everything you're saying, but if you think about it, it's like, we attach all that judgment when it is just a job. Yes, 100%. And we don't look at, okay, why? The whys. And a lot of times we have to look at those whys to understand someone's, what you might think their mistakes are when you Mm -hmm. hear the why. That's not a mistake. That's what they had to do. So, yeah, yeah. Uh. And I think I harmed myself because I didn't, I didn't realize that the shame of being a stripper, which I kept to myself for so long, it would dictate how I felt about myself all these years later. Now the last 10 years have been a lot easier, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I tried to erase that time. I just didn't think about it for a long time. So you almost like disconnect that part yes. of you and it's, and, and you're disconnecting a part of your truth, right? Yes. And like I said, it's a part of me, you know, it is, 
part of my history, part of, part of who I am. And, but I still don't think like, even after this, I'm not going to run around and tell people because I don't think that it's something, you know, there's, there's people that deserve to know your history and your feelings and emotions. And there's people that just need to know the shell. And so those people, those few, few girlfriends that know, they deserve to know. We, we don't have to share every bit of ourselves with everybody. Oh, see, I'm thinking you should run around and say, look what I, <laughs> look what I did this. And, and it was, I learned a lot about myself and I enjoyed it. And then when I realized I didn't enjoy it, I got out and I started teaching and I'm of service to people and I have empathy. I would like shoot, shout it from the rooftops. Maybe I'll write that book, Brianne. Well, I have one more question for you. If somebody is out there struggling, if they're doing a job that like makes their self-worth plummet, like what's happening with you or a shame of their past things they've done, what would be your advice for them right now if they're listening? Well, if it's something that they're ashamed of that they're doing right now, um, look at first, look at your why, see if you can try to simplify your life and you can make it on you know, find a job where you're not going to be ashamed, where you're not going to have your self-esteem, you know, being, you know, sucked down by the rocks into a river. You've got to look at your whys and your hows. How am I going to, you know, can I get another job that's going to be better for me emotionally and mentally? Or do I need to stick this out for six months and just learn to separate myself? And what was your other question? Yeah, that was it. Or if someone's, okay. no, no, having the shame of their past, what they've done oh, yeah. in the past. I think that, um, you know, <laughs> like I said, we all have this past, right? We've right. all done things that we're embarrassed by. We've all done things that, um, well, we're still figuring it out and we're young and, and all of that. But there's this quote by Maya Angelou that says, um, do the best that that you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. And I have applied that to myself for the last like 30 years. Like you do the best you can. And when you know better, you do better. And that's just the way life is. You know, it's how we live our life. It's how we parent. It's how we are a good, are a good spouse or partner. It's how we're a good daughter. It's you do what you can, when you can, and when you, you know, when you know better, you do better. And I think that that forgiveness for something that you're ashamed of, and just looking at the space that you were in, and um, your, your emotional and mental health at that time could have really um, played a part in what you were doing. So we have to give ourselves grace. I'm all about the grace at this point, you know, we have to take care of ourselves because there's a lot of times a reason why we're doing what we're doing Mm -hmm. and we have to understand the reason, look at it and accept it and give ourselves grace. I love that. I love that. Let's all just give ourselves some grace, especially right now. So if you're listening, give yourself some grace. (laughs) Amen. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your secret and explaining everything. I'm so grateful and appreciative. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time.
Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you'd like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.